Haskell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Welcome to our Scottish special leadership podcast from Loch Lomond, where I've been attending the SLS, the School Leaders Scotland Conference. And although the Scottish system is different in some respects from the rest of the UK, the sense of ambition there, the sense of optimism and enthusiasm, just incredible. So you're going to hear from uh, some head teachers, you're going to hear from Barry Smith and Andy Smith. You'll hear what it's like to run the only secondary school on a small Scottish island, for example. Anne Munro talking about the importance of leadership training and the national college they've got for Scotland uh, there. You've got Graham Logan starting things off. He is the interim chief inspector for Scottish schools and shows a really kind of enlightened view of what inspection is doing to try and improve uh, schools in Scotland. We've got a particular insight into special education from Sandra Miller and then Professor Rowena Arshed, who is a, an expert at Edinburgh University University who talks particularly about inclusion issues and uh, gives me some personal advice on what I as a white middle-class middle-aged male can do to try and help the diversity agenda. <laughs> it's, it's a really good conversation I think. So hope you enjoy it. I'm Graham Logan, Interim Chief Inspector of Education in Scotland. Now you've just been talking at the SLS conference there and you've been talking about all kinds of things which from where I am sound incredibly optimistic and and reassuring in terms of what you're trying to do. Why is it that Scotland is talking so much about education? What's the direction of travel in a, in, in a nutshell? Yeah, the direction of travel is a real determination to achieve excellence and equity for our young people and, and the importance of developing the whole child and the whole young person and, and not looking at progress in a narrow way using one attainment measure, but looking at a whole range of indicators that suggest young people are growing and developing and progressing. I was particularly interested in that because you talked about the breadth of measures and you were talking about, if I remember, um, something like enrichment or opportunity. And Just, just talk, that, talk us through that part. Yeah, well, we see the, the attainment gap um, as f- there's five key areas of focus for improvement. There's the obvious ones like attainment itself, attendance, um, and exclusions or inclusion. But we also think that it's important to focus on participation and engagement as well. So those are our five key areas of focus. Attain- attainment, attendance, exclusion, participation and engagement. And the last two are really important because it's so uh, essential that we view wider achievement and participation in the school's wider offer as valuable and it, that there's a parity of esteem across literacy, numeracy and health and well-being. In many respects, I believe that good literacy and numeracy are outcomes of good health and well-being. Yeah, it was very striking. I listened to that and I thought of that very great, great Scots professor of yours, John Macbeth, who said that we should measure what we value, not value what we can measure. Now, there will be some people thinking... You know, it's been part of an education system that extracurricular activities and that sense of participating are important. You're taking us one stage further to try and drive that mm-hmm. by saying, actually, let's measure how we do it. Have you had much opposition or people being sceptical of that? I don't think so. I think as education professionals and as a former head teacher myself, we know just how valuable um, the wider achievements are. Um, young people developing a range of skills and achievements, not just the narrow measures of attainment. And we, we were very concerned when we looked at other countries at the perverse effects of just focusing on one narrow measure. And we want young people in Scotland to have a broad range of skills attributes, achievements and of course qualifications and awards. So I think for for professionals in education we know how important developing the whole person is for, for future life chances. 
Um, what I was struck by uh, listening to you is that A, you're looking outwards from Scotland, so you're learning from other systems and learning from experts. But you also said something about wanting to give autonomy to schools, but not autonomy between schools. Just explain that, because there's something really important there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The direction of travel in Scotland is for schools and teachers and head teachers to be empowered and to be more autonomous. But that doesn't mean that there are islands operating on their own. In fact, we want to see... Uh, less autonomy between schools. We want to see schools working together, collaborating very meaningfully for improvement for the children, not just in a single individual school, but across an entire community or beyond a community. We're all responsible for helping all of Scotland's children and young people. Anne Munro, substantive role as head teacher of Bells Hill Academy in North Lanarkshire Council, currently on secondment as lead specialist with the Scottish College for Educational Leadership. Tell us first about the, the school that you have led. Uh, what's it like? My school is just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> uh, that's the first thing I'm going to say. It's a very typical comprehensive school. It's in an area that's in North Lanarkshire that serves the communities of Moss End and Bells Hill. Our young people are just wonderful, but every head teacher will say that. Our school's been on a very significant improvement journey over the past. Well, I've been head teacher there for nearly eight years, and we've been on a fairly significant improvement journey for that length of time. And we've been able to demonstrate sustained, improved attainment attendance, wider achievement, simply because of some of the practices that we've been able to adopt as a team. And probably at the core of that is our school vision, our relationships, our approach to professional learning. So that's that's your substantive role that you've had, but you've got this interesting other role, and this is the one I want to just talk to you about, because we listened to John Swinney this morning, who's the Minister responsible for education in Scotland, and he said, I want to help to empower you to be leaders of learning, not leaders of bureaucracy. And so you've got a, a college which is helping to make that translate into a reality. Just t- talk us through that. The Scottish College for Educational Leadership, known as SCALE in Scotland, has been in existence for the past three years. And the role of the college is really, it was initially to be a virtual college to support school leaders and leaders at every level of the system. And I think that's really the value of SCALE because it focuses on leadership, as you say, of learning. And it looks at supporting leaders in the classroom, leaders at middle level, leaders who are aspiring to be head teachers. It supports head teachers who are involved in uh, the early stages of their headship, the sort of mid stages of their headship, and it has some fantastic programmes available to support head teachers who are ready to move on to system level leadership. We have it's we have a framework for educational leadership, so we have an online resource which any GTC registered teacher in the country can access and it provides professional learning activities at every level of the system. But we also have a suite of programmes which are designed to meet the needs of leaders at whatever stage they're at in their career. And that's the, the, I think, the real unique design of the programme. As a head teacher, so for example, as a head teacher, I know that my teachers can engage in terms of the teacher leadership programme, which is based very much around professional inquiry, looking at their own practice in the classroom and how they can collaborate right across Scotland online using Globe. There's 
opportunities for collaborative middle leadership programmes, which enables head teachers to support the development of leadership capacity in their middle leaders. Fantastic resource there. And there's also a suite of programmes for headship. So again, as I mentioned, some of them are delivered in partnership with our universities, so they're at master's level. Others are really just to allow new head teachers to start to think about their leadership practices. As a head teacher, one of the most significant professional learning experiences I had concluded in June this year, I was involved in the fellowship programme, which is designed for experienced head teachers, five years or more, who have demonstrated that they've been involved at a national or local level and it's based around professional inquiry but linked very closely to academic study as well and that for me was absolutely transformational and that's the reason I'm seconded to work with SCALE to try and encourage other heads. Can you just explain why it was transformational for you personally? It came at the right time in terms of where I was in my headship, but it enabled me to collaborate with head teachers, a small group of head teachers, only nine in our cohort from across Scotland. So at different stages in their careers, all very experienced, but also different sectors. So I worked with early years head, worked with middle leader, uh, heads of primary school, uh, worked with heads in much bigger schools than mine smaller schools than mine so being able to share our experiences but also have the support of an academic advisor in terms of driving the program through research mm. and so the the reason it's transform, transformational is it's about looking at putting research and policy into practice but it also gave us the opportunity to meet with politicians with cabinet secretary who you've just mentioned policy makers and really feel that we had a a, a fantastic chance to shape policy as well as just you know having policy being delivered mm. to us mm. and as a result of that uh, I now have the opportunity to lead our excellence in headship programme nationally which is for head teachers who've been in post for two years or more so it, it is about putting the theory the research very much into practice to support our school leaders as leaders of learning. Yeah, and certainly from where I'm sitting, it sounds like there's a kind of national mission which is acknowledging that, that leadership is at the core of actually raising standards and closing gaps. Absolutely. I mean, that was very much the, uh, the thrust of the Cabinet Secretary's message this morning, but he also very much reinforced the, the very good work that SCALE has been doing, a small team, and the opportunities that we now have to expand our work uh, and have a, a greater impact right across across the system. I am particularly pleased. Anne, thank you. I'm Andy Smith and I'm the head teacher uh, currently at Lark Hall Academy in South Lanarkshire. Okay, so Andy, you're head teacher there, but you've had previous headships as well. So just give us a little bit of background in terms of your leadership journey, as they call it. Yeah, well, my first headship was uh, to be the director of Perth Academy. I started that in 2009. I was there for four years and then I took up another headship at Kirkluck High School in South Lanarkshire. And I was there for four years, and I've now been in my current post for just about two months. Uh, so why the move? What, what was it that, that led you to move on somewhere else? Well, the first move, I, I stayed in Lanark, and the journey to Perth is about an hour and a half. Uh, we tried to sell the house. It was a bit of, uh, I suppose it was down to the economic situation at the time. We couldn't sell our house. Uh, I loved the school, loved my job, broke my heart to leave there. But uh, it was a necessity with a young family that I had to be closer to home. I subsequently moved uh, to a post closer to home. I really enjoyed that. I loved that post too. 
I was there for four years and then just a, a few weeks ago I received a phone call from uh, my superiors asking me if I would go and uh, look after the school on a temporary basis and that's where I am just now. Now we talk a lot about uh, work-life balance and one of the things that struck me when we were talking last night is how you, you do everything you can to try and make sure that your family aren't disadvantaged by the, the stressful job you do. Just talk us through what you do there. Yeah, well one of the things that we really stick to very closely as a family is to ensure that we try and eat together in the evening and that tends to be at half past five and the reason for that is that all of the clubs have a young family, four young children, all the clubs tend to start around six o'clock so we've got to get some food in us before we start the runs to the clubs. So as a result of that I have to leave the school at five o'clock every night unless there's a, a parents evening or an information evening on. So I have to really discipline myself uh, during the day to ensure that I clear my desk for five o'clock each day. And does that message kind of then filter out to the staff? Does it almost legitimise that they should make sure they're also balancing work and home life? Well, I think as school leaders, we need to make sure that the job is attractive to others. Uh, and if, they, if we're at our desks till 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, I don't think that gives a, a very good message. It's taken me a long time to, to learn that. I, I want my job to be attractive. I want others to aspire to, to the post and to you know, be able to come and lead and make a difference to young people. And I think if I, if I can show that I can get away at five o'clock and still get my job done, that hopefully gives a bit of inspiration to others. So while I wouldn't overtly uh, promote that or say it to the rest of the staff, I hope they can see me walking out the building at five o'clock. Yeah. And just tell us a little bit about the school and your, your values and when we, the, the kind of work you're doing there. Yeah, well, the, the school I'm in now is very different to the other two schools I've been in. Um, around 35% of the young people come from uh, deciles one and two, uh, which are the 20% uh, most uh, deprived areas in Scotland. So we're a Scottish Attainment Challenge school, uh, which means we get extra funding for the government to try and help that specific group of pupils. And we also receive extra funding to deal with the relatively high proportion of young pupils who are entitled to free meals. So very specific targeted groups of pupils that we have money directed towards to try and make a big impact in the, the lives of those young people. So what kind of things would you do uh, with that money? Well, the key targets for, for the government uh, are to try and close the gap uh, with a particular emphasis on literacy, numeracy, health and wellbeing and ensuring young people get to positive destinations. So the money has got to be focused and targeted. So we're, we're looking at what's the, the best up-to-date research uh, in terms of catch-up numeracy, literacy programmes to try and improve reading ages and comprehension ages. Uh, what can we focus on to try and improve the health and wellbeing of young people, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, uh, and also the, the, the overall approach is to try and ensure that, that group of young people are not disadvantaged in any way culturally, can they get the same experiences as young people who clearly have advantages in terms of parents, networks, whatever else it may be. We've got to try and ensure that every young people gets every possible experience they can to try and achieve the full potential and aspire to the highest possible levels they can. And we're on the second day of this SLS conference here and the, the word I keep using all the time about what I'm hearing is optimism. I mean, is that... Is that because we're here in a hotel and we're away from the day job, or is that actually something that genuinely pervades the system? I, I, yeah, I think being in a, a nice surrounding certainly does help. But uh, last year, I remember hearing at a conference someone speaking about the characteristics of leaders, and one phrase that we heard was uh, relentless optimism. I, and I th that is just something that is right throughout Scottish education. You know, when, whenever you're in the company of the head teachers, senior leaders, our glasses tend to be half full. Uh, there is a genuine uh, sense of 
positivity. Uh, we have the correct messages from the, the government. I think the government's strategy is really strong. We need the funding and resources in place to ensure that we, we can get there. But we're all uh, in agreement with the direction of travel and there is a real positive outlook in Scottish education. Great. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the, the, the school? Well, I, I, well there's, there's two aspects, I, I think, to, to being a school leader. One is, uh, well, many aspects, but two aspects are important to me. One is you've got to love that job. Uh, and if you don't love the job, I, I think you're going to be in a, in a bit of trouble. Uh, and the second aspect is uh, you've got to love the people in front of you. And, of course, those who are hardest to love tend to be the ones that need the, the most love. Uh, and if you're looking at the young people sometimes the hardest to love are those who have come through the most difficult circumstances uh, who have had horrific things happening in their background uh, and they present to us uh, with all sorts of needs uh, they, need, they need attention they need love they need care and we've got to pour that out into them uh, and I think firstly to be able to recognise that and, and to do that for young people uh, and secondly to aspire while, while we do that and we recognise they've come from different difficult circumstances we've got to ensure that we give them aspirations they need positive role models they need to see uh, excellence round about them and they need to see themselves in a role and I think what we really need to do uh, in schools more of is to get role models in from the world of business from universities uh, entrepreneurs whoever it maybe young people need to see the positive role models so they can aspire to, to what they see in front of them. My name is Barry Smith and I am the head teacher of Arden High School and Lamlash Primary School on the Isle of Arran. So tell us first of all about the Isle of Arran. So the Isle of Arran is a population of around 4,500 people. Um, heavily uh, influenced by tourism, a, a very, very popular destination in, in Scotland. Um, and the, the population of the island fluctuates uh, drastically uh, during the, the summer months, a huge influx of people. So, you know, many of the jobs in the island are, are related to hospitality and the tourism industry. And the island's a, uh, an hour's ferry ride from uh, from from the mainland. Yeah, so you, you, the the ferry uh, goes from Ardrossan, which takes about an hour, and there is a ferry in the north of the island which takes you over to the entire peninsula, um, but nowhere near any population centre. So the the, the main uh, route is from uh, Brodick to Ardrossan, and it's about an hour. Yeah. So you've got this this community which suddenly swells when you've got all the visitors in the summer but you, you've got all of those youngsters all through mm. the year and it's one of those things that you'll see in any island community and perhaps in co coastal communities can be quite inward looking I suppose and part of your job I suppose is to build aspirations so tell us a little bit about the school it's the only secondary school isn't it on the island yes so give us a flavour of the school and what you try and do in terms of your vision for, for those young people so the school um is about 350 in total um, but a, ch a chunk of that around about 100 is uh, primary students so there are about 250 uh, high school students um, as you say uh, w one of the, the challenges for the school is really um, ensuring that our youngsters aspire uh, in the same way as any youngster from any school uh, across the country um, so we, we do place great emphasis on providing them with opportunities through sporting cultural um, activities, uh, visits to the mainland as much as you can to, to, to raise those kind of aspirations um, and let our youngsters see that, that there's, there's lots of opportunities beyond the island um, and that they are uh, able uh, 
confident and willing to, to take on those opportunities because that, that for me is one of the, the key challenges is that confidence um, that we see in our youngsters that can at times be lacking uh, when they, they are up against if you like mainland counterparts uh, they maybe don't see themselves as, as an equal so um, I see that very much as my role is to ensure that whenever our youngsters are in that sort of inevitably competitive environment that they feel not only proud of where they've come from but also confident about where they, they might go. And I'm guessing that you're constrained by buses because quite a few of those young people will be coming in on the buses and going out on the buses so you're limited in what you can do after hours I'm guessing. We potentially would be. Uh, however, we are very fortunate in that we've got an arrangement with the, the local bus company Stagecoach to provide four days in the week um, a second uh, bus service. So it, it fits in with the island bus service um, plus a couple of other additions. But to uh, we have an hour after school every day for extracurricular activities. We've got a really broad extracurricular activity programme, um, which uh, is, is sport and music focused essentially, as well as supported study classes. But we've also got a really wide um, extracurricular activity programme during lunchtimes and, and many of our young leaders uh, lead activities for, for other students in the school. So we, we do our best to make the most of the time that's available to us uh, with the, the, the children and young people. I'm guessing with the extracurricular sport that the, the teams don't have a lot of other teams they can play against in a sense and that, I don't mean that in a trivial way <laughs> but that will be a very different experience I, I would have thought. Absolutely and that, that kind of takes me back to what I was talking to you about you know earlier that yeah there isn't there isn't a structure on the island for youngsters to compete against other teams there simply aren't enough people on the island so we have to try really hard to ensure that our youngsters have the opportunity to to go and compete in a range of sports from table tennis to netball to rugby to triathlon um we we try really hard and we've got very good partnership working with active schools um in our community uh, to provide those opportunities and and you know, I'm, I'm pleased to say that through the hard work of our staff, we've, we've been successful um, in, in achieving uh, the North Ayrshire Council Sports Award in the, in the last two years. We were the finalist of the, the National Sport Award um, f uh, last year as well. So, yeah, we've, we've, we've been punching above our weight, I guess, um, but that's very much down to the focus uh, of the staff and the leadership of the young people as well, because m much of this has been led by our young people. That's wonderful. Last question. Uh, what, what do the young people go on and do afterwards? I mean, I know they'll do lots of things, but just give, give us a, a flavour of where, where they might end up. So the majority of our young people uh, move on to higher education. Um, anything between 60 and 70% uh, year on year. Um, just, and let me just check, what does, what does higher education mean? So higher education means university. Um, so we've got a, a so that, that immediately breaks my stereotype where I'm assuming that, that they're, they're not going to because the aspirations will be not high enough. I'm, I've totally misjudged that, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it's not that the aspirations aren't high enough, but we have to keep reinforcing that message. Um, our young people absolutely have um, the skills, the knowledge, the ability to, to go on and be successful. It's actually that developing that confidence and belief um, which I think is crucial in our community uh, to, to help them see themselves in that position um, and, and yeah you're right they, they, they can and they do um, 
broadly speaking, higher uh, education, some further education, college courses, um, and a number stay on the island and uh, get worker training. Yeah, I know I said that was the last one. When, <laughs> this is the, the definite last one. And when they leave the island and they go, go to university, is that essentially the island waving goodbye to them? Or do you, do you see some of those young people coming back? And if so, what do they do when they come back? Well, that's, that, that in itself is a, is a huge challenge for the island. Um, the demographic of the island uh, is, is um, skewed towards the older generation. That is only going to continue with um, the, the projections for, for population. Um, and so we are working hard with local businesses, um, with colleges, with um, the other providers on the island to help our youngsters who are leaving to go to university see that there is a path back for them onto the island through managerial graduate type opportunities and broadly in the in the uh, service industry through hospitality mm-hmm. um, and, and there's, there's the distiller on the island as well so that's a challenge um, because you're right many many young people leave the island and they go off and don't return and maybe return so later on in life but beyond that kind of um, not productive age but beyond that that, that working age so um, it's, it's an ongoing challenge for the island, it's something that, that we recognise um, and we work with our economic group and on all the different uh, organisations that tr- try and support that sustainable um, demographic for the population and for the island to be successful and continue to do what it does so well which is provide great opportunities for, for people who want to come and visit and, and, and live on the island mm. Barry Smith, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I'm Sandra Miller. I have recently retired as principal teacher in a service in Fife for adults and children with severe or no speech in, um, abilities at all. Could be a condition that is a lifelong condition like cerebral palsy or autism or learning disability, or it could be an acquired condition like um, road traffic accident, or it could be stroke or something degenerative like motor neuron disease. Okay, just give us a, a quick flavour of your career, which has been an interesting one. So, kind of su- summarise how you've got to where you are. I started off as a music teacher and then went in as a part time music teacher in a special school. Loved every minute, thought I might do that again, but ended up teaching in special education for about 25 to 30 years in Fife. Let's just talk about technology and how technology is helping people who perhaps couldn't communicate now to communicate. My last job was in the Fife AEC team and that was to support adults and children with no speech or very little speech. We augmented or gave them an alternative method of communicating through technology. Um, With the most recent changes in technology, it has become much more affordable and in Fife we've been able to do a one-stop shop with assessment, with um, providing loan devices, with providing technology support and upgrading devices when we needed to. My team had a teacher, a speech and language therapist and a technician. Uh, We offered a very local service wherever an adult or a child may be in Fife whether it be in school, in nursery, at home, in a day centre, wherever. You you gave an example of someone who's had their larynx removed and technology through an iPad, I think it was, uh, helped them to communicate. Just explain that. This was a lady who I imagine had cancer, I'm not entirely sure, but had had a laryngectomy. She was no longer able to speak at all. 
she was completely cognitively aware um, and literate. So with one visit almost with an iPad and a communication app, um, I was able to give her her voice back and therefore her ability to communicate with her friends, with her family and give her her life back, which is a brilliant gift to be able to give someone. Sandra, thank you very much. My name is Rowena Arshad. I'm the head of the School of Education at the University of Edinburgh. What do you kind of expect the schools might be doing to give a greater sense that this is a diverse country? I think they've got to put it um, front and centre. It's not an afterthought. I think that's the most important thing. Often diversity issues are seen as something you do if you have the luxury of time. I actually think it's something we should do right from the start. And you also talked about flexibility in, in people's working lives. Why is that so important? I think people do the best at, or work at their very best when they're trusted to get on with it and trusted and valued. I think micromanagement is absolutely... Uh, it's very negative, it's corrosive. Uh, I have found that when I put a lot of trust in people, um, they give me buckets loads back in return. What should we as, as teachers be doing to make sure that those young people who are perhaps the most vulnerable brought centre stage? Perhaps we could start by viewing them differently. Um, I think often teachers feel as though you know they have a responsibility of being the people who teach. I would like all teachers to take themselves into the role of learners. And I don't mean being pupils, but actually not being knowledge managers and letting these young people um, generate some of that knowledge as co-constructors of knowledge. I think that might be a way of bringing people in the margin back into the centre, um, allowing them place and space. You've been doing the job for about five years now, I think. What's your, what's your perception of where, where Scotland is? As head of school for five years, but in the area of equalities for more than 30 years, um, where we in Scotland, um, I think we do some things really, really well. I'm very proud when Scotland um, takes forward LGBTI issues, for example, and it champions um, issues of well-being. I think that's something I'm very proud of. But, you know, we have to be not complacent. Scotland often sees itself as a tolerant, welcoming nation. And I think we are. But I do also think that the everyday lives of young people will probably tell a slightly different story. So I think we've got to be mindful of that. Uh, last question. So I'm a white, slightly beyond middle-aged male, and yet I believe this whole diversity agenda. Now, it's easy for me to think I'm part of the problem. What would you say? I say don't feel guilty. Uh, that's the first thing, because if you, feel, if you feel, start feeling guilty or, f you, or feeling powerless about doing anything, in fact, you, you, are, then, you are actually then powerless. I do think um, a white middle-class male, or slightly more than middle-aged um, middle male, <laughs> Um, actually has a lot of power to make change because actually without you speaking up as a white middle-aged man um, about issues of say race or um, gender then actually people like myself who actually have who are in an ethnic minority category will always have to do the pushing and the changing with you alongside we can do it in partnership the ASCO Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton